This is Eitan Weinstein. And I'm Naor Menninger. And you're listening to Two Nice Jewish Boys. Israel is currently in a state of turmoil due to the proposed judicial system reform by the new Netanyahu government. The reforms have caused massive demonstrations from the opposition, leading to reconciliation negotiations between the coalition and opposition at President Herzog's estate. The controversy surrounding the proposed reforms has brought the country's judicial system into the spotlight, making it a super relevant topic for discussions as you might have noticed from our 150 past episodes or so. In today's episode, we have the honor of speaking with Dr. Adam Shinau, one of Israel's most prominent young law professors, who is an avid reform opposer. Dr. Shinar is a senior lecturer, associate professor at the Harry Radzner Law School at Reichman University, specializing in constitutional law and theory, comparative constitutional law, and legal theory. His expertise in various topics related to the judicial system reform in Israel makes him an invaluable guest. Dr. Shinar holds an SJD from Harvard Law School, where he also served as the Clark Buys Fellow. He also holds an LLB from the Hebrew University in Jerusalem and an LLM from Harvard Law School. In addition to his impressive academic background, he has worked as an attorney for several human rights NGOs in Israel and India and clerked for the president of the Israeli Supreme Court, Aaron Barak. Dr. Shinal's research has been presented in leading universities such as Harvard Law School, Yale Law School, the University of Oxford, the University of Cambridge, and the European University Institute, and he has published his work in top-tier journals. We are super, super thrilled to have Professor Adam Shinal on the show today. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you very much for having me. So, I, I th- How do we start? I think we, we've been... Uh, We've had a ton of episodes, as we mentioned, on the reform. Most of them have been guests who have spoken pro-reform. Okay. Uh, and so it's, it's a balanced show. Yeah. yeah. No, well, we have. We've been, tri- we've no, been no, trying. <laughs> we've yeah. been trying. I think that's what I was Many, trying to get at. Yeah. Uh, uh, we had the uh, uh, journalist Lilach Sigan on recently. Uh, and I think... And we tried. We invited some prominent uh, protesters, but they all uh, they didn't want to come. But I think, I think well, you know, we're also small time, so I'm yes. not going to hold it against them. Okay. But, but what, I th- what this episode is trying to do is to bring really... It's really important for us to have these kind of conversations with all sides of the, the aisle and, and hear every side. So what I kind of want to ask you first is what's like the most bothersome part for you about the, the, propo- the original proposed reforms, maybe what's left over... Right, it's so the most the most fearsome part. Well, I think one thing, the most important thing about the reforms is that it's it's almost a mistake to ask what's the most bothersome part when you're looking at the whole package because the, what's important is the package and what's important is the how the disparate parts of the package interact with one another. If you were to disentangle the reforms into several components, there could be particular components that even I who. I was described as an avid reform opposer, uh, would agree with, or I would even say, you know, I don't agree with this, but it's not a particular problem. I'm not going to, you know, I'm not married to this issue. But the problem is, when you look at the reforms as they were suggested back in uh, November, I think, to 2022, is what you see is the com- almost the complete elimination of all breaks on governmental power, both, from, both uh, externally and internally. Externally, what you see is the 
minimization or the evisceration of judicial review, making uh, striking down laws extremely, extremely difficult and a, a very rare occurrence, if at all. Uh, the capture of the judiciary by politicizing the appointments, not just of the Supreme Court, but to all the courts, the magistrates' courts, the district courts, the family courts, the labor courts, etc. And on the other hand, eliminating or minimizing the internal breaks on governmental power within the executive branch by politicizing the legal advisors' positions and by making their advice uh, into recommendation. And after those reforms, had they been enacted in that way, been passed, then the important question you would have had to ask yourself, what limits government power? The courts are not going to be able to, break, to put a substantial break in government power. The Knesset will not have been able to put substantial breaks on government power because the government controls the Knesset, otherwise it would not be a government in a parliamentary system. And the veto players within the executive branch who have been able to block some government initiatives will also not be able to do that anymore. And then what you have is a complete concentration of, of uh, political power within one branch. And that is what's the most bothersome part about it. Now, this plan has shifted and changed and, you know, the government has backed down from some components because of the protest. Um, so now we're in a sort of in a different ballgame. And now what's at the center stage is the judicial appointments. So I think everybody's is concentrating on that and, is the, and, they, and they see that as the key to everything else. And if before we get to because i do want to speak to what everything you said and ask you a few questions about that but but if the reform was to pass as just uh the method for selecting judges to to uh the the makeup of the uh the committee. committee for yeah. judicial appointments uh would that is there a constellation that that you would see as as uh, acceptable or as you mean not any reconcilable with democracy well, I mean, of course, there can be. There's no one way to appoint judges uh, in the world, obviously, uh, and also in Israel. But I think w whatever system you propose has to be sensitive to the both of the institutional realities in Israel, how the system is structured, and how the political environment operates. So um, a lot of what the government has been saying is, look, in every country in the world, politicians are the ones selecting who the judges are. That's also incorrect but let's just suppose that it's correct for some countries okay but then of course the the obvious question is what else is going on in that country right how else is uh is political power dispersed and decentralized right and then all those features that we have in other countries uh are lacking in israel so once you pick and choose and you do all this cherry picking you're saying okay i want this because this is how I don't know, whatever, the U.S. appoints judges or Canada appoints judges. Well, then you have to ask yourself, what else is going on in the U.S. or Canada? So I, back to your question, I don't think that the committee or the particular makeup of the committee as has been in Israel since 1953 is the only way to appoint judges. But I think that whatever, however you want to appoint judges, especially because of the way that Israeli courts are structured, there needs to be a strong professional, nonpartisan political component in that selection mechanism. And, and even if you want it to be politicized in some way, I don't think it, can, it should be politicized in the sense that only the coalition gets to appoint judges without taking into consideration the professional position or the opposition, et cetera, et cetera. And, and, and once you accept those you know, yeah. benchmarks, then we can talk about different institutional arrangements that realize those ideals. And here you touched really, I feel, on the, one of the biggest disagreements and the rifts between uh, right and left. And let's let's delve into it a little bit. B 
because I, from what you s- just said, I would um, deduce that you, your, your argument is that up until today, uh, at least major parts of the committee were not political. Non- non-partisan. Non-partisan. In the sense okay. that they're not affiliated with a party. Yeah, right? but, but, but the politics, look, in the sense of what is political, every institution that decides how to allocate p- power is political in right. a sense. Everywhere there is people and where there's decision-making, there are considerations that you can term in the broad sense political. And everybody's part of it. So I'm not talking about, of course, that the, co- co- the, the committee didn't operate like, I don't know, like a mathematical equation. So could we agree that the judges who sit in the committee have political biases? Well, first of all, everybody has biases and every, everybody has values and opinions. Like I said, judges in the committee do not come into this as a blank slate, but they, the interests or the biases that they bring into the committee are very different from the biases and opinions and values that the politicians bring into the committee. Now, I'm not saying we should do away the, with the biases of the politicians, but we should also get the opinion of those who are in the system and whose ethos right? And, and, and their values are also based on the familiarity of the system, because after all, a judge is also a professional, is somebody who has certain capacities and skills. And we want good judges, not just for the Supreme Court, we want good judges for accident cases, and contracts cases, and tax cases, and corporate cases. So I think the knowledge that the judges bring into this and their professional outlook that has been constructed over decades, of course, it has its biases, but those biases are important. Nobody, there's, I don't think any, nobody is saying, I think, I'm, I'm not saying that, that all the actors or any of the actors in this part are somehow neutral. There's no neutrality, but... But they're not, there's no holding them accountable if they do bring uh, agendas or biases that aren't pure. What, those members in the, of the committee yes. holding them accountable? Well, first of all, what we have to remember and what the audience should remember is that the judges in the committee comprise three out of the nine members. To, the, uh, to appoint a, a member to the Supreme Court, you need seven. Yeah, but so the, e- so that even if the judges, for example, uh, come together with the members of the Israel Bar, that they have five, they need seven. For the Supreme Court. <laughs> for the Supreme but Court. for the rest of the yes. courts, which are also the, important, it's enough. Just... But, the but, judges in the yes, but I think true. the point is the, the, the point is the, the, yeah. ju- the judges have a veto on the Supreme Court, but so also do other actors. And the idea behind this, and by the way, this was not always the case up until two thousand and eight. It was five out of nine. The idea is that we need the political position, we need the professional position, and we and because no group has a veto, it forces bargaining or deals, what's called, and then the deals are the ones that express as much as possible, all the interests in the room. And the people that pass are, are acceptable to all the sectors, which, of course, nothing ensures great judges, but, they, but, but it ensures the acceptance of different interests that, and, and not just narrow partisan political interests. But uh, So again, we go back to the narrow partisan. And I wonder, in the end, we, we, that is the, the core disagreement, that... that w- People on the right don't believe that it is that the judges have any special expertise to select other judges. Um, yeah, and, I think that's and, false. And I know, but that's, that's where the core disagreement is. Otherwise, we also have to. Say, if that's true, if judges are just like everybody else and they have no expertise, well, then maybe why do we need law schools? Why do we need bar exams? No, why, I, I no, didn't say they no, don't have. No, they don't have any. They expertise. have. Actually, they have. Well, they know the law. 
yeah. right? Yes. Be- better than maybe yeah. the politicians who are not lawyers and otherwise. For sure. They know how courts operate. They uh, have been judges for many years. They know litigants. They know litigant behavior. Uh, they know, they understand the bureaucracy of court administration. They understand how decisions are constructed. They do have expertise. No, I did, and, and so that's what I'm saying. I, I never said, I want to correct Okay. Your 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 critique because I never said they don't have any expertise. I said they have no special expertise to select judges. They perhaps have expertise to recommend. But to that can advise, also be true. But that can advise. but that can also be true about a member of the Knesset who is not even a lawyer. Who is this is his first time in the Knesset and true. When, and when he was in true. part part of the public, he but was he, I don't know uh, an architect. True, but he doesn't this, have I want to get to my question. Yeah. True, but. The member of the parliament that brings to, to the question, the member of the parliament does have something special that the judge does not, which is the mandate of the people. You keep, you know, we, we keep calling them politicians, but in the end, their profession is an elected official. They're a member of Knesset. They represent, uh, they represent the people, and together the coalition represents the majority of the people and has been, uh, uh, has been granted the mandate by the people. And that's what they hold that the judges don't. So judges can advise, they can recommend, they can say, I think this person is grossly incompetent or this person, you know, is competent and can serve as a judge. And honestly, I think at the end of the day, the Knesset should be able to, the, the Knesset members or the the elected officials should be able to disregard those recommendations or those uh, uh, that advice. Because in the end, if we don't believe in the competency of the people to select competent elected officials to do competent work then we don't really believe in democracy yeah i don't buy that argument at all for many many reasons first of all uh there are many many areas where we don't uh uh i don't i don't want to say trust but but the people but the people agree that certain decisions have to be made by some expert so for example look every month there is an unelected official who decides on the interest rates right the chancellor of the bank of israel uh, I don't hear you saying, this is wrong. We should have, you know, the members of the Knesset should decide every month whether we should raise or lower the interest rate. You don't, and I think if I were to make that argument to you, you would say, no, you know what? I think it's pretty good that an economist, even though economists can differ and it's also politicized and it rests on controversial assumptions, it's not physics, it's not mathematics, and you're fine with that. He was so, appointed by the government. Yes, of course. But also... Uh, even if he was appointed by the government, he is not an elected official. And he has, it's very difficult to fire somebody like that. You know, even if he makes the wrong decisions, he's not accountable like government ministers are. So, and, and of course, that's just one example. There are many, many uh, uh, public workers, public officials who make decisions who are also not elected by government officials, who are elected by tenders, you know, by bids, who have uh, uh, tenure at work. They're difficult. So first of all, if, if that's your argument, then you have to ask yourself, well, then maybe why do we need all this state apparatus of unelected officials? That's a good question. Oh, but okay, <laughs> yes, okay. that's a great no, but, question. But, but, but you compare oranges and apples because it, with all due respect to all those bid winners in all those government, role, uh, government roles, I guess, uh, they're not judges. Judges and especially no, but Supreme I, I, Court. I, I do want to yeah. go back but, to but, that. But I want to respond actually, But judges, to that. What, what we want about judges, and because they're special, we want them to be separate and independent from the political branches. We want them to have independence in their office. We wanted that it would be very, very difficult to fire judges. We want judges to be immune from their decisions. Uh, their conditions are usually set by the judiciary. That's the whole idea of separation of powers. So we do want 
them to be independent. And as by the way, as research shows, and this is more recent research shows, that the more the judiciary is, is perceived as politicized, the less public trust that it gains. People talk about the low public trust that the Israel court has uh, in view of the public. What they're also forgetting, I think, is if you just look across the ocean, look at the United States, much, much lower trust. And it's a completely politicized system where the judges are elected by the president who is elected and by senators who are also elected. But but um, you just said that the chancellor of the bank, though elected by the government, is completely independent because it's hard to fire him. And the same is with the chief of the IDF and other the chief of the, the police. And uh, so I don't understand what would be the, the issue if a majority in the in the committee would be led by the coalition. Uh, they would appoint judges as they will. And, and then, then they will be independent. Yes. Okay, so here's so the, one answer to this is that the problem with the judges is that it doesn't end with the appointment process because Israel has about 800 judges. Okay, so 15 of those judges are Supreme Court judges, which means that 785, 90, whatever, 99% are non-Supreme Court judges. The judges who are appointed by this political, would-be political committee, are the, also the judges who would then have to be promoted by the same committee. So the independence doesn't end there. When you're appointed to the magistrate court, you want to be promoted to the district court. When you're the district court, you want to be promoted to the Supreme Court. When you're the regional labor court, you want to be promoted to the national labor court. So... You, you would still have to go back to the same political committee that appointed you, and they would have to, to decide whether to promote you. So you're not going to be independent. The independence doesn't end there at the level of appointment. It continues at the level of promotion throughout the career. And today, what majority do you need to promote uh, a Shalom judge, which is like the lower magistrate court, magistrate yeah, court yeah. to the district court. district court? Five out of the nine. Which means that... Up until today, for 75 years, ju three judges and two bar associa association members of the committee alone, without the, the elected officials, could promote all the judges as they saw fit up until today, which means that up until today, if, if according they, to if your they logic... If, 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 if they agreed. If they agreed, but they which, don't always agree. But, you know, they... they they're pretty much in consensus throughout the years. If you this look at was it. actually recent. But wait, just to okay. finish the, que the yeah. finish the question. So, yeah. what if I go by your logic? Up until today, um, all those biases, all those uh, commitments, and uh, and 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 I don't know how how you would call it, but those all those judges who wanted promotion had to somehow please had an interest to please the bar association. Who has interest in the courts, obviously, of course, and the Supreme Court judges, if they wanted promotion. So yeah. all that you said has been happening. The only difference is instead of being loyal and to the represent representatives of the people, they were loyal to the Supreme Court judges. Okay, so a couple of things. First of all, if you really wanted to, you could change the decision rule. You can, you can, for example, say that promotions to the whatever the lower courts would also be dependent on a majority of seven of the nine. If you were to change the, that rule for the lower courts. I don't think many would protest. I don't think you would see 100,000 people in the street because you changed the vote, voting mechanism from five to seven, like you did to the Supreme Court, you would do it to the district court. I don't think that's a problem. If that's what you want to do, fine. I'm not going to, I'm not going to come here and, and argue against this. Um, so the second thing is that, yes, you're right in theory, but in practice, that was not always the case in the sense that they were not always in alliance uh, about those appointments. And the third is, yes, you always have to Whenever promotion is um, is present, you always have to look at somebody 
who has to decide who to promote you. But then the question is, what are the considerations based on which that person promotes? Now, mm -hmm. if the considerations are purely, purely political, is this judge one of us or not one of us? And says, is he a Likud member or not a Likud member? Not formally, but is he a Likudnik or is he a religious Zionist or is he a Yeshatid or, or whatever? What I'm telling you is that not only are you going to get less competent judges, less professional judges, but the perception of the system itself will change. You're going to corrupt the system and change all the incentives and you're going to achieve lower trust in the court, which is the complete opposite purpose of what the reformers say that they want. If they think that you're going to, get a you're going to have political appointments and then the public will say, no, that's exactly that. Now look at the United States. You say, well, this is a Trump appointee, so that's pro-choice. Sorry, that's pro-life and pro-gun. And this is a Biden or a Obama appointee, and therefore an abortion, he's pro-choice. And, and that's how you see the decline in the public trust in the courts. I, it's I, almost half of that in Israel. I think that that's the mistake, that you're, you're, you're making a chicken and egg-ish like mistake, which is the fact that the system in the States is set up so that elected officials select judges is because that Americans at heart have a low trust in centralized power in one individual. They say, we don't trust the judicial system. We don't want the judicial system to be a strong branch of government because we are very, very true Democrats with a small d. And we believe in the fact that elected officials should have much of the control, and therefore we give the power to the elected officials. So I think the fact that the fact that in Israel you have a low trust in the judicial system is all the more uh, case that we should make this reform because Israelis are also true Democrats with a small D, okay. and they realize the judicial system shouldn't hold that power. I, I think there are some fallacies in that. In, in that argument. First of all, I don't think that's a true characterization of the American people who are true Democrats and therefore they want so, a lot of power in the elected officials and less power in the courts. First of all, America is a huge country. There are different you know, well, factions and, 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 course, and, and yeah. parties and, and, and ideas. And in fact, what Americans feared from at least in the eight, late 18th century, in the early 19th century, is not courts and judges. What they feared was elected officials. Right? What they feared was government raising armies and taking control over their private lives. It wasn't judges. They feared presidents. They feared uh, congresspersons. They feared governors. They feared armies. Judges were very, very low in the list of concerns of what they, those feared. So I don't think that what you're saying sits well with, uh, with the historical development of American society. The second thing is, I, I think it's also a mistake to say, as you say, is that now we have this low level of trust in, in the Israeli judiciary. The, the level of trust in the Israeli judiciary is not low. Empirically speaking, uh, first of all, it's much higher than the Knesset in the government consistently over the years. It's three times, there's three times as much uh, trust in the courts right now than there is in the Knesset. And it's not just in 2022. That's what's consistently the case. But the trend and, is bad. Wait, wait, I'm, I'm talking about the trend. Uh, and uh, um, it's much, much higher in, the, in, in the, uh, the trust in the courts than the trust in political parties and much higher in the government. That's number one. Second, the, the level of trust in the courts today is not very different from the level of trust in Supreme Courts in other democracies. So, you know, some are lower, some are higher, but in the end, Israel is kind of in a good place in the middle in those countries, so it's not an anomaly. Now, what Noor is saying, look, but there's a decline in trust, and that is true. 
Uh, if you look at 1994, there, there was this very big research in 1994, the level of trust in, this, in the Supreme Court was around 79%. It's pretty high. Um, and now, it depends on how you measure, let's say it's around 50%, but it wasn't always 50%, it sort of ebbs and flows, it fluctuates. Now, is that good or bad? That one could ask. Well, one could say, well, look, I don't. I, I think this is a bad thing, this, this decline in trust. But I also think there's some positive things about this decline in trust. I, don't, I think, first of all, I, I think we should be distrustful of gov governmental power wherever it is held. So I think too, too high levels of trust are also a problem. You know, a country that has 90% belief that Putin is doing the right thing, or Assad, I, I get very suspicious that this is sort of how manufactured. Now, of course, the level of trust in the court has gone down because the court in Israel makes decisions in sometimes in controversial issues that have to do with asylum seekers, with LGBT rights, with Palestinians. Or releasing rapists like wait, this wait, morning. Wait, wait, wait a second. Wait a second. But that's not the Supreme Court. I mean, that's not that's not what what this reform is about. So the Supreme Court makes a, a, a decision in a, in a variety of cases. Sometimes, not always, not a lot. It also protects what protects minorities who are not very popular in Israel, like asylum seekers, or like how they are called infiltrators, or LGBT or Palestinians. And therefore, unpopular decisions might also lead to lower levels of trust. But in, in a sense, that's also the job of Supreme Courts around the world to protect the rights of unpopular, marginal minorities who don't get represented in the political process. No, so with, with the mandate of the people. Right, but when you protect... Meaning you have to protect based on the laws, which laws course, represent of, of course, the of, majority of course, consensus. Of course, you have to protect, of course, you have to operate according to the laws. I'm not saying the Supreme Court should be an unlawful institution. But sometimes uh, those decisions are unpopular because really they go against the majoritarian sentiments of the people. But that's why we have courts. If courts were simply majoritarian institutions, we wouldn't need them. You would just say, whatever the parliament says is okay, whatever the government says it's okay, because they represent the majority of the people, and we would do away with courts. Right? The whole idea of courts is to limit government power. And if you're saying, if your problem with the courts is that sometimes they go against the majority of the people, then you'd have to give me an explanation. Why do you need courts at all? That's why you need courts. No, you need a separation of power. But, but that's but, separation of power. Wait, you need but, them to go on. against the majority sometimes. Let, let me, let me yeah. respond. So you need a separation of power and you need the courts to go against government and the Knesset sometimes. Exactly. But they need to be representative of the people. Right. Oh, well, so that's, okay. So that's also, what does that mean to representative? Now, if you're talking about representative and saying, look, for example, I have a problem with the court. There are a lot of Ashkenazi men on the court, and there are not enough Mizrahi men and women on the court, and the court has to be more diverse. Let's say that's your problem with the court. And no. You said representative of the people. No, no, that's not representative of the people. I don't, I don't care to represent people's color or genitalia. Okay, I, care, so, I care to represent people's ideas. Okay, so, okay, so forget that argument. So, okay. so, so let's just say you want what you're saying, the problem with God, the, God forbid we live in a country where, pe where we want bodies to represent people's no, I, race I, and, and genitalia. I, no, look, we, we, this is a different argument, but yeah. I believe there's merit okay. to what's called affirmative action. And I think, I think also institutions should represent the people also uh, if they're African-Americans, if they're minorities. I think the court should be uh, all the people, you know, all this, you know, it should reflect Inclusive. the people. There's, there's no should, way it could. No, but right? It, it, <laughs> I mean, there's it, no way it could. There, there's no way we can achieve a mathematical precision, but I think yeah. it has to be reflective in some sense of the people that it governs. I think that's, I think that, I think that's an, an ideal to aspire to. Now, but I that... 
based on ideas and okay but, yeah, but, we but, but, but let's but, but okay. let's but let's leave that because you're okay. saying they're saying that's not your problem you're saying yeah. what, you, what your ideas. Prob- what you're saying is and, and if i if i want to sort of under, what you're saying you probably want to say the court is full of these uh left liberal progressive institutions uh, sorry people however the israeli public is mostly right wing and those right wing positions are not being expressed at uh, by the by the court now yes. i have some several things to say about it. First of all, I think that, and then we're all talking about the Supreme Court, yes? Is that, you're all Let's talk about the Supreme Court. Because we can I also think, talk about other judges. Because I think in the lower courts, that's not, that characterization is not correct. Uh, right. I, I, at least I don't know of any research or data that suggests that the magistrates' courts or district courts are leftist progressive. I'm not familiar with any such research. If you are, then I would be happy to, to, to see that research. But let's limit to the Supreme Court. Okay. Because also it's easier to look at 15 judges than 790 judges. Yes. Um, I don't think that's correct. I think in a way that might have been correct with the Supreme Court of the 1980s or 1990s or the early 2000s. But when I, Adam Shinar, look at the Supreme Court today, the 15 judges... First of all, I should say I have no idea what each of them votes. You know, I don't talk to them. They don't talk to me. I do. You know what they vote? Yeah. Okay. I, I, I'm like confident I could say <laughs> what they vote. Okay. So I'm not, so, I, I don't know. No, okay, right. As, no, as, no. as we don't know anything, no, no, I don't I, know I, the world exists, I'm just, but I'm, I know what I, they I, vote. I'm, I'm prefacing my saying, but, 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 but <laughs> I'm I saying I'm, I think no, it's no. playing in naive that no, we don't no, know. No, no, I'm not playing naive. So I want to preface it by saying I don't know, but I, I'm, I'm going to make an educated guess. Okay. I'm not going to be ignorant, but I say. Merit avodah. Okay, so. Right? No. No? Okay. Of course not. Of course. If I look. At the judges today, and we can go name by name if you want, mm-hmm. I would imagine that about six or seven of them uh, vote center and center left, and about six or seven of them vote center and center right. And now, if you want to... Uh, you have it, Likud, Likud voter in the, and Shas voter and Yaduta Torah voter in the Center, Supreme center, Court. right. I didn't say which parties. It could be religious Zionists. It could be Likud. I I I would Smotrich, you have a, a, a wait, wait 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 I I I I would imagine yeah. okay that people like and I'm naming names and if the judges hear me please I'm not saying that this is what you vote this is my <laughs> God forbid this is based 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 <laughs> on based on, wait, based on your no based on because I don't I, I also don't yeah, like this discussion ahead. why and I tell you and I'll and I'll, I'll get back to what, the, what why they vote but I also don't like this discussion because if we think that judges have um, um, professional there's a professional standard right uh, and if judges is also an occupation that i think judges can also say look i know what i said but but uh, but the law says this way the, and i operate in the law for many many years i i i've been a law student since since the year 2000 so I'm, i've been doing this for 23 years and i know that in many many cases in my career in my life i said look i would want the law to say x but I realize the law says Y, and I can't impose X, my belief system and my biases, and where the law says. And I think judges, and, and good judges and honest judges are, are also that said. They said, look, maybe in the polls I would vote for Meretz or for Likud, but I, I'm sorry, but in this case, I have to vote this one, even though politically, I, and I think, so I think the legal system operates as a constraint. There's a sense and it's, it's implied by your questions that once you're a judge, anything goes. You can do whatever you want. 
I don't think that's true. I think it would it would be a very problematic thing if that's true. So in, can, we can agree that there's so, a big so so, so so in a way so in a way I think that it's that it's that it, that it's a gross unfairness to say look at what the judge votes and in in his. Every, every four years for the Knesset and then see all his decisions and I can give no, you but, but we and didn't, I can, and we I didn't can, take it no, there and I can give you many many decisions of judges who are identified as leftist judges who in many many instances vote in a way that is not leftist so, so wait so okay, okay. so, so I, I think that's important to say no but I just want to make the point that we didn't take it to the where but, it no, votes but my it, original but question implied, was why implied. doesn't the Supreme Court represent so ideologically I think, it, okay, so I think it does the I, th- people. I think I think so I think if you look so again what does that mean is why isn't there a judge yeah. that is that like you said w- sees the world from a Haredi perspective okay so first of all there have been judges in the past that have been Haredi but um, there are other there are actually there are problems with appointing Haredi judges to the Supreme Court who have nothing to do with the committee first of all the pool of applicants is much much smaller right because Haredim don't usually have law degrees. They study. Oh, but they have no more. No, no, but but it's a, first of all, it's a recent pheno- It's a relatively recent. And when I was a twenty student, years. When, but yes, but you don't. But you don't appoint somebody to the Supreme Court when they're thirty-two, right? Yeah, even when I when I studied in this in, in the I studied in the Hebrew University. Um, um, so and 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 we were a class of about two hundred and forty people. In in the year two between two thousand and two thousand four, I had one Haredi student. Okay, so today that Haredi student is maybe he's my age, he's 44, he's 45. Um, you still don't appoint people to the Supreme Court when they're 44. Okay. That's so, so, legitimate. So, so, so uh, it's also That's difficult legitimate. to get Haredi people because they don't have the path. And S- same applies for Tzionut Adatit, the no, religious Zionism? No, and that's why, for example, you have David Means, who's from Tzionut Adatit. You have Noam Solberg, who's from, who's from the, you know, both settlers, Kippahs, uh, from that camp as I can identify you have, no it, you, you have you have Yitzhak Amit who uh, now he doesn't have a kippah but he grew up in the institutions uh, you have Yael uh, uh, Vilner who's a religious Zionist uh, uh, woman so in a way actually for example settlers are overrepresented in the Supreme Court there are two settlers in the Supreme Court two out of the 15 but there are only 500,000 settlers you know, in uh, uh, settlers, settlers. So, right. so, I, I, so it's not just about Likud. Now, uh, I think that's the main issue. Though, so, for you, because, you, so you, for so you, because it's the biggest party in Israel. Okay, so first, so, so for you, Noel, you would say, look, if we got four people in the Supreme Court, and they were Likud supporters, in however sense, I'm happy. I, I, I do away with all this reform. I don't need to change the committee. Not that's, exactly. That's a problem. Not exactly. I would. I, I want to have a say, and I want you to have a say, right? And I'll be fine, like, if, let's just say, for the sake of the argument that you're a merit supporter, and let's say you went to a national campaign in the elections and, and got 60 mandates, and now you appointed four judges who think like merits. I'll, I'd be, I mean, I, I, I'd, I'd deeply respect it, and I'd be, I'd be much happier than today. Okay, so I'm not, I wouldn't be. Even, even if I were to be a merit supporter, I wouldn't want that. Because I think the Supreme Court, as an institution, should not represent naked political interests. If, 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 I, have, if, if I have a Supreme Court who's a merit Supreme Court, or a Likud Supreme Court, why do I need the Supreme Court? I have the Likud in the Knesset. Because, as you said, we trust, we appoint, I, I, I trust my elected officials... And, uh, and I think we all should, to elect judges 
no matter the agenda, that once they are judges, as we said, but that's, they, wait, wait, yeah. that they will uh, judge according to the law. And as you said, judges are professional. So, but you can't have it both ways. If you think judges should judge according to the law, yes. then it doesn't matter who you appoint. Because they all judge according to the law, right? But and therefore, the it doesn't promise it's a mandatory code. I think that's the problem, and you, you we touched it briefly previously, that today, I, I strongly disagree with you when you say the judges uh, judge according to the law. I think one of the biggest disagreements today in Israeli politics about this issue is that we, in the right, feel that judges in the Supreme Court, more often than not, do not rule according to the law. They rule so, according to agenda. Okay, so 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 I what I when I hear this argument, my always my, my immediate intuition is to say, you know what? I understand. I think it's really important the the word that you use. You said me and the people in the right feel feel. We feel this is as if this is some an emotional issue. I feel that this is what they're doing. I am sad that this is what they're doing. I'm upset that this is what they're doing. Maybe we can take that feeling and leave it to one side and talk about concrete cases, real cases that the Supreme Court has decided that you would that we, you would we would test this feeling. But in the end, your feelings you, are important. End, but no, we shouldn't but, devise systems. But in terms of feelings, no, hold on, well, of course feelings. we should. In the end, you can prove quote unquote whatever you want, and I can say I don't buy it. And that's why we know we haven't had that argument. No, but yet. I'm saying uh, we can have that argument right now. But I'm saying in the end, what Noah is describing is what led people to the polls, and and in the end, we had an election. Yes, and that's fine. Of course, I, I, there's an election. Nobody's disputing the results of the election. That's fine. Okay. But, but what but what I think yeah. is that, and this is goes directly to what Noah said about feeling. I think and. And, and the feeling is disconnected from the Apologies for, for if, if this sounds no, no, go ahead. condescending. No, no, I think a it. lot of the discourse about how the court operates is really removed from the reality of what the court does. People, and, and I understand this completely, if I were not a law professor, I also would not read Supreme Court decisions. You know? let's, let's talk about uh, the, uh, the asylum seekers here. In, in, we're in South Tel Aviv. It's yeah. all the more topical. Um, let's talk about asylum seekers. Can you tell us a bit about what the uh, decision is that the court uh, that the court arrived at, and how how it's perceived by both sides, and uh, where which, you think which, which ones? There were several. Let, let's go with the um, Saharonim uh, jail. Yes, for example. Okay. So the the, um, the the background for that decision is that uh, years ago. Uh, because of uh, uh, the, the situation in Eritrea, in Darfur, uh, there were many, many asylum seekers uh, coming to Israel. Not just to Israel, by the way, to many, many other countries in the world. Actually, a small part came to Israel. Of course, most of them ended up in other countries. Um, at the heyday, at the peak of uh, asylum seekers entering Israel, uh, there were about, uh, I think, about 50,000. Now, today, by the way, it's much, much lower. Many have left. It's around, it's under 30,000 today, uh, according to the Ministry of Interior uh, record. Not including children. No, it is including children. Yes, yes. It's including, look, look. look Never look. mind. Okay. This is the governmental data. I'm not making up data. Okay. This is not, you know. Um, anyway, um, and the government uh, had to decide what, what, what are they going to do with them? Okay, so the government actually settled the asylum seekers in South Tel Aviv. They had buses waiting for them, and they dropped them in the Vesha Anan, in the Levinsk, Ginat Levinsky, and they said, go settle. The government didn't think to put them in Metula or in Gedera or in Petah Tikva. It said, this is where you're going to be, creating problems, problems for the residents. Right, so, okay. Um, now, the problem is that there were 
people coming in. Uh, at the time, the, uh, now it's not the case. Uh, at the time, there was no fence. There was no wall under, along the southern border. And by the way, since this fence was constructed, there are no, no, nobody's coming. I think there are about maybe 10 people coming per, in a year to, mm -hmm. to Israel. I mean, that, that, the, the problem with the, the situation with the asylum seekers has ended. Nobody's coming anymore uh, f uh, through Egypt to, uh, to, 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 to Israel. Uh, the, uh, okay. Um, but back then, the, the, the fence was, uh, I think, was in the initial stages of construction, wasn't completed. Yeah. And the government said, what we're going to do is we're going to lock up these uh, asylum seekers, which the government has called infiltrators. It amended the infiltration law. Um, and uh, it locked up... Um, the men, I think, right? Only, yes, only men, and, but the, the capacity of the Saharunim facility, if I'm not mistaken, uh, was around uh, 1,700, 2,000 people. Only, right. now, of course, in a way that didn't solve anything because you had 50,000 people. So even if you had 48,000 people outside, that would not do anything. Um, and the, under the, 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 the law, you can lock them up for three years. Now, what's important to realize is that none of these people's, people were charged with any criminal offense, right? They weren't indicted in court for anything. The government said, the government said we're not going to charge them anything. And these people were not candidates for deportation. The government didn't say, you know, I'm afraid they're going to disappear and therefore I want to put them in this holding facility until they're deported. The government said, I don't want to charge them with anything. They didn't commit any criminal offense. And I don't want to deport them back to their country or any other country. I just want to hold them here and, 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 and limit their liberty for up to three years. And after those three years pass, we will release them back into southern Tel Aviv. Okay, so... They legislated this law. Yes, that's what I said. They, yeah, they, they amended the, to... the, the anti-infiltration law. Yes, mm -hmm. yes, of course. It was, a Knesset, it was a Knesset law. We're talking about 2011, 12, something like that? 10? Yeah, some, something like that, okay. I think. Yeah, and the law said? That's what it said. The law enabled... The, to lock, the, them, the, up the, to lock them up for up to three years without charges without charges and without be, them being subject to deportation just saying you know here you have a life or whatever and of course what's also important to realize at the same time is that the government refused to check whether these people are refugees right these people came and they said we're refugees now, under the Refugee Convention, which Israel, by the way, is a signatory to the, and it was actually, Israel was very influential in drafting the Refugee Convention because of Israel's Jewish experience with the Holocaust. Under the Refugee Convention, when an asylum seeker comes to your country, um, the government has to examine whether that person is an asylum seeker or is or is not a refugee. If that person is a refugee, he or she is entitled to rights and non-deportation, etc. But if that person is not a refugee, then the government can deport him. The government has consistently refused to examine the status of these asylum seekers. Up until today. Up until today. Why? It's very easy to guess why. Because the government knows that had it were to examine, it would have to grant refugee status to many of these people. How do we know this? Because the same group of people who came to other countries, Greece, Italy, Germany, were a lot of them were recognized as refugees. Although now it's changing a little bit. In but some of the we're talking Western, about yeah. we're talking about the 2011. Yeah. Some countries it was 60 or 70 percent who recognized refugees. Some countries it was 35 or 40 percent. were precedent. In Israel, it was about 0.0001, like one or two people recognized. So, so this is the point. Mm -hmm. Back Israel said we're not going to fulfill our legal duties. We're not going to examine your status. Uh, we're not going to deport you. We're not going to indict you with any criminal offense, but we're going to lock you up for three years without any charges. 
and then release you to the same population from where you came in southern Tel Aviv. What is... Now, we'll come to the legal case. Uh, a group of asylum seekers petitioned the Supreme Court and they said, look... Via an NGO. Yes, of course. But that's fine. Um, I mean, that's... that's Depending on who you ask. Why is that? A, I don't know. Why is that a problem? It's the... Isn't it... It's How do you call Schuta Amida? No, 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 no. It, it, it has it, nothing it, to it, do... It's Schuta... Standing rights say that you don't have standing. You're not important. But it's perfectly fine for an NGO or anybody to represent a person who has standing. These people had standing because they were the ones who were being locked up. Okay. So, of course, the law harmed their rights. And they, yeah, it, no, but it's, an, it's a different problem, which is the fact that they arrived directly at the Supreme Court. But that has nothing to do with the reforms that are being passed or anything. Yeah, the fact well, it, no, it doesn't have nothing to do. It has nothing of, to do. Because, it has because, nothing to do with the proposed, original no. proposed reforms, but it's not something that, let's say, Yariv Levin or other people have been talking about. If there were proposed reforms were about changing the architecture of the... The, the way you appeal to the Supreme but Court. But that's fine, but that's not... We're talk, but this is a, a fantasy situation because that's not that's the case. Nobody's suggesting that. Yariv Levine is not no, suggesting no that. Got, well, no one's talking about the other three parts of the reform either anymore. No, no, but this was not even... What you're saying uh, yeah, is no, not I'm even s- part of the three parts anymore. Yet. Yeah. Yeah. Look, if you want to talk it's about that, it's another problem we, with the judicial system. But that's a problem which many reform, which many pro-reform people yes, would but, love to get to. But look, if you want to talk about that, we can talk about that. But that yeah, was not we're what de- you, we're digressing. Okay. Okay, okay, and okay, and okay, by okay. the way, the only the reason <laughs> no, the, I'm just the, I'm just saying why the, the reason it's the, not the reason so, the Supreme Court is the yeah. first court they appeal to is for two reasons. First of all, this is the system we inherited from the British. Okay, not a great reason. Yeah. But that's 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 okay, no, many, many not a great reason. <laughs> but this is not the fault of Aaron Barak, okay? That's what I'm saying. Okay? Aaron Barak was, was a kid when this happened, you know? No, I didn't uh, oh, bring No, up but this is always okay. And in nineteen eighty four, Israeli the Israeli Knesset, the people, enacted basic law, the judiciary, which gave Bagats that power, those powers. So it was the people who decided. Mm-hmm. Now if the people want to change and say, Okay, fine, but that's not anyway, okay, look, those so people the- as I said, look, you're 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 violating our rights. Mm-hmm. What rights are you violating? Well, there is a basic law, basic law human dignity and liberty, that the Knesset passed as well, that said every person, not citizen, not resident, person, person, has a right to liberty. And if you you can infringe that right to liberty, but that infringement has to be for a proper purpose and it has to be proportionate. And those asylum seekers came to the Supreme Court and said, you're infringing our right to liberty because you're locking us up for three years without trial. I and think it's disproportionate. And every country, I think, and I think you too would say that that detain, you know, locking you up for three years without trial. Citizens, is, yes. Persons is a, is an infringement of their liberty. When 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 a country puts you in prison for three years and doesn't charge you with any criminal offense, if you're a citizen, yes. That, no, then it, <laughs> then it's, it's infringement of your liberty. A liberty. No. It's not an infringement of your liberty. No, it's an infringement of your liberty. But I don't know how many liberties you have as not as, as someone who's the not Israeli, a citizen of the country. The Israeli Knesset decided, yeah. and this is the people decided, yeah. that in Israel every person has liberty. By the way, when the Israeli Knesset wanted to limit rights to only citizens and residents, it said so explicitly. For example. In basic law, freedom of occupation, you know, the right to pursue an occupation and vocation, the Knesset said specifically that this right is limited only to citizens and residents, not to tourists, not to people who happen to be here. But the Knesset chose differently in liberty. It said, no, persons. Persons, and by the way, the United States also they uh, also said persons as well, and, 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 but whatever. So what did the court ju- uh, rule? The court said that... Uh, the court, first of all, wanted to understand why are you locking these people up? Since you're not deporting them and you're not charging them with anything, why are you doing this? They asked the state. 
They ask, of course, they ask mm -hmm. the state, and because in, in a way they have to ask the state why, because basic law, human dignity, liberty, demands that the law be enacted for a proper purpose. So you have to ask the state, what's the purpose behind enacting the law? And the state said we have two purposes behind the, behind the law. First of all, by removing a segment of the population from southern Tel Aviv, it will make life easier for for those living in southern Tel Aviv, welfare, crime, all those things. And also, what they said is... It'll if, deter. Yeah, if you lock these people up, then people who are not here at all, but maybe think about coming here, will see that when they come here, they will be put in prison and... There's uh, a chance they'll be put. Yeah, there's a chance that they will be put in, in, in a prison, and then they will decide, we don't want to come here, we want to go... Elsewhere, to, yeah, to Europe. Okay, I think those both of these reasons are problematic, um, empir okay. empirically. But but the Supreme Court accepted both reasons. Uh, first of all, the Supreme Court said uh, that they, it, it understands why it wants to ease pressures on people in southern Tel Aviv, uh, and that's and we'll leave that to one side. And the court even accepted the deterrence. And the deterrence argument, I'm just going to maybe say, it's very very problematic, because you're using people here to as an as an instrument to deter other people who have nothing to do with the people who are in prison right now. You're just using them, right? It's like almost saying, you know, uh, we want uh, Lebanon to release some sort of prisoner Israel has, so we'll kidnap, you know, let's say Lebanese children, and we'll just keep them in prison here until we release them. We did that. Yeah, I know. That's also problematic. <laughs> uh, uh, not, not Lebanese children. Well, but, no, uh, a few of them were children, actually, in those groups. There were some under, under, under 18. There are, there are minors, yeah. 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 Okay. We would, okay. I would not, think, not a seven-year-old. No, but I, I think we would still think, if when I look at 14-year-olds or 16-year-olds, I still think of them as children. Maybe you don't, but okay. Well, it depends what they did. But, uh, but yeah. they didn't do anything. Okay. But, um, but anyway, uh, we're, again, we're digressing. So the verdict. So the, so, so the court said, you're infringing on their liberty. Uh, by the way, the state agreed. That was infringing on their liberty. Uh, the yeah. court, the court uh, accepted uh, the purposes behind those uh, uh, the purposes that I just said. However, the court said that given that this is a small number of the population, and given that you didn't really show that it's actually going to deter anybody, uh, because let's just say if you're fleeing from a genocide, then the fact that maybe you will be in a prison for a couple of years, you'd still prefer that than, of course, being a victim to genocide. And the fact that you're not really alleviating the problems of southern Tel Aviv because, um, uh, you know, you're removing 2,000 people, but you're still leaving 48,000 people here, then locking them up for three years is disproportionate. And therefore, even though in principle you could lock them up, the term of the detention has to be lower. And that's, that's a decision. Now, you can argue whether you agree with that decision, but I, what I don't think you can argue that it's, that it's baseless in the sense that it's unmoored or divorced from the legal situation. The court didn't come in and say, we're going to make up this law you know, and, and we're going to make up all these requirements. No, the right to liberty is a classic legislation. The proper purpose is classic legislation. The requirement of proportionality is in the classic legislation. That's in the Knesset. That's the people decided. But at the end, if we look at this verdict, what uh, tipped the scale is not uh, is is something that's very subjective, which is proportion. What's proportionate and disproportionate? Mm -hmm. Well, yes, uh, right. This is in the end. This is the main thing. Like 
because another uh, three judges, I don't know how many people sat in this. Uh, there like were more three, than three judges. Five, than seven, I don't remember. But I think there were seven or nine. But, but anyway. you would change the political identity of those judges and the verdict may, could have been different because in the end they relied on... Okay. Can we agree about that? I, I, I would... I would I would agree with some of that. First of all, I would say that this is also true in other cases at all. It's, it's also true, for example, in a way that you interpret a contract, a commercial contract between two people. Yes. You know, one judge may interpret this in one way and judge in a... Now, in the sense, law is not a machine, right? It is not... Uh, 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 you know, it's, not it, 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 it's not a mathematical formula and we accept it. Why do we accept it? Because it's inevitable. It's inevitable in any other reasons. So yes, we accept, I think, the idea that in some instances, but not all instances, proportionality will be controversial. That some judges would say, I think this is this and I think this is. But in the end, we need to have a system where we think about what justifies the limitations of rights and what limitations we can live with and what not. And what you say it's subjective, but the Knesset decided this. The Knesset says that limitations on rights have to be proportionate. The Knesset gave the court the power yes. to evaluate. The same Knesset uh, wanted to pass okay, the wait. reforms. So, 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 I th so, so in, in a way, I don't think what the court did was illegitimate. The court interpreted... The Knesset, whether, but I think a lot of the people are... Sorry. No, no, go ahead. A lot of people argue that the Knesset didn't give the power to the Supreme Court to, to knock down laws for unconstitutionality. I think, okay, that's a different argument. And I think you, I, I think if you read Basic Law, Human Dignity and Liberty, which I assume both of you have read, it's a very, very yes. brief and short law. Uh, I think it's very hard to understand the opposite of what you're saying. This, the, the Knesset has said specifically that uh, no law should violate the rights in the Basic Law unless the violation is, among other things, proportionate. That's in they, the law. And then they kept it vague. They kept but, it vague. They but left the Knesset it for interpretation. Yeah, but, by, but, but by the way, there's nothing anomalous about this. Um, the idea of proportionality as a, as a mechanism to limit rights violations is accepted throughout the world. Canada uses proportionality. Okay. Germany uses proportionality. European Court of Human, uh, Human Rights uses proportionality. Uh, South Africa uses proportionality. India, I can go on. Yeah, on. But, but Israel didn't make anything. And in fact, when Israel adopted proportionality in the basic law, what it looked at was it looked at Canada and Germany uh, to get the idea about how to do that. Okay, but no problem. I can accept that uh, the Even, proportionality yeah. exists. But I think it, the reason I brought it up is because previously you said about how uh, how law is a profession and political agenda uh, doesn't mean like you need to rule one way or the other, that judges rule according to the law, etc., etc. And I think this is a very good example of this instance about how your political agenda, you know, you're, they are human beings. And I think we can agree that there is a chance that in such a ruling political agenda could maybe unwillingly uh, play a role. So, and assuming yeah. we can agree about that, that brings us back to the, polit to, to, to the fact that I cannot uh, influence um, via democratic means the, who will be the judges. So I think there are so, so, so some things. First of all, I think you're a little bit mischaracterizing what I said. I never said that there is no biases and values and ideologies, but I said law is not only that. 
That's what, that's what I said. And therefore, okay. to completely equate law with politics, I think that's not a true characterization of how law works. Okay, even if, never, even if I look, for example, at that decision, the, the asylum seeker's decision, um, there were different judges who I don't think vote the same way who reach a decision. Or, for example, and we won't get into this right now, even for the Derry decision right now, the, the 11-0 or 10-1 decision, You'd see also religious judges saying this, secular judges saying this, Mizrahi saying this, uh, right, more right-wing settlers. So I think... So let's keep to the Saharonim example. Okay, right. So, okay. Um, and I think... Uh, so, first, so, so first of all, I... So yes, of course, there is a value system belief that influences to an extent somehow, but I think, again, that's inevitable. But I think what you're doing yes. by politicizing the judiciary, if you're going to make the judiciary uh, um, a partisan affair, first of all, what you're also, I think, forgetting is, is that the Israeli Supreme Court, uh, most of the cases are not constitutional cases. Most of the cases in the Israeli Supreme Court are administrative appeals, criminal appeals, civil appeals, right? Contracts, torts, uh, what, bankruptcy, taxes, um, rape, murder, whatever. Um, and when you're politicizing the appointments of the Supreme Court, you're not saying you're, you're going you're to politicize all these other cases as well, right? Uh, which you would, I think, agree that there is a very strong professional component, com- component in that cases. In many, many, Euro- there's a room in, in, for in, in, ma- in many, many European countries, you have political appointments to the constitutional court. But that's only a constitutional court that does only constitutional law. The Israel Supreme Court has 10,000 cases per year. Very, very small number of those are cases challenging the constitutionality of Knesset legislation. And also, as you both of you know, the Supreme Court, we can talk about how activist it is in many, many cases, but intervening in Knesset legislation is actually not the areas where it's been most activist. I mean, in the 30 years that it's been uh, overruling Knesset legislation, it has only repealed 22 provisions of uh, one, yeah, but I think under the ar- one the per year. The argument against that is that many of them don't because of Never the exact reached. issues that you, but that, that you delineated before, which is like the advisory, the legal advisors to the government but, but, can stop. But I, I want to get back to, to yeah. the, the, the example. So my question to you is this. What do you say to me, okay? I, I, say, I come and say to you, okay, I read this verdict and I'm not interested in a Supreme Court that rules this way. Because it it doesn't fit my agenda. I want uh, the the asylum seekers to be in jail for three years. That's what I want. And let's say I can form a majority in the people who want that. Okay. Yeah. How do you suggest I go about making the change that would enforce my will? Okay. First of all, I think, and this is a more general argument. Or I should I say I'm also, even though I'm an avid uh, reform opposer. I'm also not happy with many court decisions as well. I mean, and, and we should also keep in mind that the people who are now protesting are not saying, we like the Supreme Court and we like all the decisions and therefore we, uh, 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 we want to keep it the way it is. I think the Supreme Court in many, many occasions has underprotected human rights. Okay. Okay, so I'm also not happy. Good. And I would also like the court to have different decisions. So the argument that I would tell you is that this is not about particular policies because I also reject. It's about how you design a system. Now, you say, I want the, the, the asylum seekers to be locked up for three years and I gathered a majority that agrees. I would say to you, okay, I understand, but I think you would also agree with me that in a, in a democracy, any democracy, the majority doesn't get to do what it wants always, right? 
If, for example, you gathered a majority of 61 uh, Knesset members and you didn't want to lock up the asylum seekers, you would say, I want the asylum seekers to be my slaves. Mm-hmm. Should we let you do that because you have 61 or 70 members of the Knesset? Yeah. You think so? I think that you're going to have a tough time maintaining a democracy in which, let me answer, in which 70 uh, mandates want that and you're going to suppress that. I don't think, and you're going to suppress that desire is what the end of that sentence was. I don't think that 70 mandates in Israel want to own slaves. I believe but, but in the competency and in the demo. But not my question. And in the, but, but, but I'm making a, yeah. but I'm making a more hypothetical. Th- a hypothetical. So I'm saying hypothetically. But, but, but it's also not about Israel. I'm saying hypothetically, you, you can't design any system that will protect itself against a majority mandates. slave-owning, des- uh, desiring population. I think that's wrong. <laughs> you, you I, can you, I, then I, you're, what you're claiming is is anti-democratic. You're no. saying let's suppress the will of the majority. For I, I, for sure, I I think there are some cases where the will of the majority should be suppressed. By the way, that's what basically constitutions do. Constitutions create structures that what they do is limit political power of to an majority. To an, it's always to an extent. This is not a zero-sum but game. But it's only the, by the willingness of the people. Of course, uh, I agree. 70 mandates, so, so. even if we had constitutions, 70 mandates who want slaves could rebel and take power. That's the, that's the thing. Who could, like, re- who could rebel? The 70 mandates who want my, slaves. Yes, but my, you're talking about the technicalities of what will happen. But my point was to illustrate something different. Mm-hmm. That even you... We, uh, you agree that... But we don't th- agree. No, I think that you don't want a purely majoritarian system. Of course we do. You do? Yes. Yeah. You want that the majority can do whatever it wants. If the majority says, you know, uh, 61 members of the Knesset said, no, again, women I, should never have the right to abort their children, that's fine well, with yes, you. Yes. Yes. And now I think that uh, I want checks and balances in place, but if the, if the, the whole, majority... But the hold, whole on, idea, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. I just want to answer you, just because, just so you don't think I'm some radical, uh, that which you might end late. up thinking anyway. <laughs> but I... I, I do want checks and balances, but I want the majority to be able to insist and then get what it wants. Okay, so I disagree with that on many, many issues. First of all, I disagree with that conception of democracy. I don't think, that, I don't think that's, a, that's an accurate description. Right? Democracy is never, what was never, and it, it will hopefully will never be rule of the majority. Democracy literally means rule of the people. So not, not, not rule of 51% of the people, okay? You're saying, rule of 49%. 51% if you have no, a majority. So then what, what percent of the people is it? No, so what I'm saying is if you want to maintain democracy, you have to have the idea that, that the majorities have a limit on power, right? Because democracy, is, if you want to have, uh, if democracies really rule the people, then for example, you would have to concede that every person is equal to another person. Otherwise, you don't have rule of democracy. You don't have dem- rule of the people. You have rule of a privileged class, right? If, if there was a group of people who got two votes, in the kalp, in the polls, you would say this is not a democracy, right? If all Ashkenazis had two votes and all the Mizrahis had one vote, you would say, would Israel be a democracy? No. Mm. Okay. If the majority, if 61 members of the Knesset decided that Ashkenazis should have two votes and Mizrahis would have one vote, would Israel be a democracy? No, but it would be a democratic decision. It would be a democratic decision to end democracy. So I think that... And it, it would be legitimate. So, it, it, so I don't think it would be legitimate because I, cause I, don't, think, cause I don't think devolution into a non-democracy is legitimate. But you can't force democracy on, an, on, on, on a country that doesn't want democracy. But I'm not asking democracy you, isn't worth I'm, anything I'm not, if you I'm don't. I'm not asking you what you would force. I'm asking you, you're asking me how I would, how would I would see the system. 
the system would not be democratic because democracy rests on some assumptions. But I could, okay, so I could say, you know, democracy is rule of the people, exactly. meaning the not just the Israeli people. I mean, who defines the people as the Israeli people? So maybe democracy, we should take into consideration the will of the Lebanese and the Syrian people. Well, I think... I think they have a, zero votes in Israel. I think, I think, I think that's so different. So aren't, don't we already kind of have a system no, where we I, have more votes than no, the Lebanese we, people we, in Israel? No. So we have to define the no, people. No, no, no. So, wait, wait, wait. Yeah. I think that this is a totally definition. I think there's the answer to that. Every country, every political system in the world, actually except for Israel, is defined by physical borders. The government of Israel... Uh, has and in every country democracy is defined by majority. Wait, wait no. But you go to the elections. Whoever wins, not, no, wins. No, 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 no. The majority is a way to uh, to it's a decision making procedure. Given that there are uh, disagreements among the people, so we think that majority uh, majority is the instrument that we adopted in order to channel the preferences of most of the people but that it's very very dangerous to equate that rule of the majority with rule of the people democracy literally again demos is people Demo, yes. it's not it's not majority so the, the, so what we so we adopt the rule of, the, of majority decision making because we need to in the end of the day, That's we have the only to, way we have. Okay, That's the best way I, I, we have. And I'm not, and I'm not arguing to against, represent the will of and, the people. And I'm not arguing against that, arguing against that decision-making procedure. But I'm saying we should also recognize it for what it is. It's an instrument that we use as a proxy for determining how, or for de, for deciding policies when there is a conflict among different groups of people. However, we should not forget when we adopt that principle that democracy is still a will of the people, and therefore. Even if you are in the 49% or the 10% or whatever in the minority, you still have what we call rights. That the majority cannot do whatever it wants to you. It cannot no, but put that, you. That's what I'm saying is that. And that's, by the way, and that's every country in the world. Yeah, yeah. It, it accepts the, the idea the, of. The of, rule uh, of the majority is a way to, to, to hash out conflicts. The, the issue is, I think what you're highlighting is just that if the conflict is too deep, then there, the, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter if you have a system in place to protect the minority. If the conflict between a majority and a minority is we want to kill you, then we're not gonna. Nobody's gonna agree to be like, wait, wait, wait. Let's vote on this. <laughs> but we want to kill but, you. But, but I think you're. Presenting... And we have more people, so we're gonna kill you. Of course, resorting to violence. <laughs> you get what I'm saying? The the issue in your example is the nature of the conflict. Yeah. Once the conflict becomes too extreme, it, democracy gets I, thrown out the I window. Don't, I, I don't think that's true. I think you're portraying a zero sum game or a binary situation. I don't think that's true. I think first of all. If we accept the idea that people have rights, not people of Israel or not Jews or people generally have human rights, civil rights, political rights. If you if you think that rights have a meaning, whatever meaning you have, it's another I think, if core you, issue. If, if you disagreement. Think, if you think that there is such a thing in the world, or or such a thing in countries to have rights, then there is no way to understand rights as being purely majoritarian. The whole idea of rights. There's the, no other way. The, no, there's no, there is the whole idea of rights is that this is something that I have that is beyond the people's control. If, if for example, today, I, after doing this podcast, I want to, uh, 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 let's say, go and eat ice cream. I know this is a silly example, maybe, but... Now I have to eat ice cream. Uh, you put it in my head, and, and, I have and, to eat ice cream. And, 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 and uh, people would say, yeah. look, you have a right to drink or eat pretty much whatever you want. Uh, you live in a democracy. No, nobody can tell you 
uh, when to eat schnitzel or when to eat uh, there or what TV show to watch or or I don't know uh, how to speak except to for you, except for your wife or how to sp- uh, <laughs> how, how, how to speak to your daughter I, I don't yeah. know the whole idea of rights that we have this is 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 our very deep sense that look I don't care what 61 members of the Knesset say and I want to to have ice cream now. And if now 61 members say, no, you cannot eat ice cream now or at all, or you cannot you know, uh, watch a TV show, then we're no longer living in a democracy. The idea, yes. so, 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 right, so the idea of a democracy is not only we have this instrument called majority rule, which by the way has a lot of problems as well with it. How do you d- d- decipher majority rule, et cetera, et cetera. I don't think the Israeli government, the Israeli's political system does a good job of, of, of translating majority will, uh, but that's another issue. Um, we have this thing called rights. And the, and but ev- they derive from a consensus. Right, but... but, they, the, you're, not, but you're not born with the rights because, because if well, you... That's first that's a different argument. There, are, there is a school of thought, a respectable school, school of thought, of thought that, yes. that, that goes back centuries that, the, that says that there are such things that, yeah, that you're endowed with mm-hmm. rights as a person regardless of whether you are a citizen or a resident. But reality or, tells us it's not true because creator. in Afghanistan, uh, no, of course. it can help no, that they were f- born with those rights, but they don't have them, right? right? And we so, have them because we took them. So, no, but so, it's so let's say, so, yeah. say 50, yeah. so even if 51% of the Taliban say, you know, women has to have to wear burqas, women cannot go to school, women can be, I don't know, raped at whatever moment, uh, you know, you could say these are all democratic decisions because most of the country is Taliban and 51%. But I would think you would get very skeptical. No, because you don't have free elections in Afghanistan. But even if you had free, let, let's say most of the country is Taliban and you had free elections. And you yes. said, and, 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 and you would do all these things, torture, non-education, rape, uh, uh, forced dress. Mm-hmm. And you would say, look, it's Afghanistan, it's an amazing democracy. No, I, it I, wouldn't I, be I, amazing, I, I, but it would be a democracy. So I think your view, okay, is completely out of step with the way that modern constitutional theory views what democracy is, because you're reducing democracy to only one thing. Free what, elections. What, whether fifty-one percent agree in free elections? Yes, of course, fifty-one percent. No, it's in, not. In, it's not obvious. No, in election. Because in Russia, you don't have free elections. No. In Iran, you don't have free in elections. Ele- in, in in free. In, I I'm I'm okay. happy to go along with with, the, with to stipulate free elections. Okay. I think that a uh, modern democracy accepts the idea of majoritarian rule as a result of free elections, but it also accepts the idea as do almost every demo- almost every democratic country in the world has that there are also limits. To what majorities can do. If you say no, there's no limits. Okay, so you're proceeding on completely different axioms than I am. What can I tell you guys? I don't no, know. I, I think we don't we don't disagree on the fact that we have natural born rights that are. Uh, but in Israel, like, like I said, yeah. I, and, and as it's written in the American Constitution, that are endowed to us by our Creator. I mean. We don't even have to go to the theological debate whether there's a God. No, or I, know, a God. I know, I know. So I'm saying, even in Israel, I'm saying even that. in Israel, we have rights yeah. because partly because the Knesset decided that we no, have those rights. Natural yes. born rights. No, I'm not all natural. for it. They're political. They're, they're, no, no, no. But I'm saying yeah. we, I'm going back to the philosophical discussion of natural born rights yeah. versus non-natural born rights. I, I think that there are natural born rights, but it is on humankind to 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 flush out what are those rights I right? completely agree and so we're talking I, I about think, what I, I system do we use I think also judges are also part of out. humankind right yeah. okay so I think there's an important role for judges 
Meaning to interpret the idea that we have natural born rights, like going out to eat ice cream, isn't necessarily a human right. You know what? Even the right to live is questionable at sometimes. We have you know, there's okay. debate but in all kinds of societies started, about I think, about the. I think we're digressing from the idea. So the the the, the question is, what is the role of judges? Now, yeah. in many many countries, I would say. I, I, I would. Say, I am saying that in about ninety percent of democratic countries in the world, the uh, the people in those countries have said we want to decide on how we do. We realize there are limits to to governmental power, to legislative power, and therefore we're setting up these institutions that we call courts. And the courts occasionally will say stop, and that's hap- that's the situation in ninety percent of democracies in the world. Now you're saying we don't want. It's a debatable. No, this is a fact. This is an empirical fact. But other other people are stating that the empirical fact is that 32 out of the 36 OECD countries are the the uh, selection of judges is by the people or is somehow indirectly or directly. Uh, I think the selection selected of, by. I think I think the selection of judges in Israel is also by the people. First of all, the people. Who, how do we have this decision mechanism in Israel about selecting judges? The it's people, the 50s, but the people like, decided, yeah. right? You agree? Yes. The but people now decided. The people want and to the, change okay, it. Okay, fine, no, fine. Dead, dead and, people and, decided. And, and, so I mean, like uh, we could say, you know, my, no, my, uh, me, I don't but, know. But if that if, if, killing but, my next door but, neighbor, the people no, decide. This is but, how cavemen but, did it. They okay, decided. But, but that, if that's I mean, but if that's your position, like, then you should take a much more radical position, and you should be completely anti-constitution. The American Constitution should be thrown to the garbage bin. Why? Because it was enacted by really, really no, dead there's people. There's ways to amend the Constitution. Not in America. In America, there's it's way to amend. No, in, in, what do you, mean? The, you could pass an amendment. No, there's no. there's like thirty something amendments to the no, Constitution. No, no, no. Actually, well, yes and no. It's extremely impossible it's, it's extremely difficult to pass an amendment to the constitution and that's why there are only 27 amendments to the u.s constitution you need to have two-thirds of the house of representatives yeah. two-thirds of senate and three-quarters of the states and that's why the american constitution is the most difficult constitution to amend in the world which de facto means that but they managed to amend that, it 27 times which is nothing which is nothing in the more than 200 years. They, once went, a decade. they also went to war on it. Right. But, and, and lost. And, and, and 500,000 500, people died, so you can get three amendments, 13, 14, 15 <laughs> minutes. So the majority of the people in the United States right now are for much stricter gun control than is possible. But it doesn't matter that they're 51% or 55% or even 60% or even 70%. But if they were 80%, yeah, then Yeah, but you look, would. the majority in the US cannot decide on their own because they have to have 75%. It's ridiculous. But it's, if it's, enough wanted, they could. But what enough? But you were, you were right? five minutes ago, you were extolling the virtues of majority rule. And look how even 55 or 60% or 65 or 60 yeah, But the difference cannot, is we don't have a constitution. No, wait a second. So, so, so and, and you're, and I think you're enamored with America but look in America the people don't govern right the, the, who governs a document from 200 more than 200 years ago which is almost impossible to amend so if you're really true to what you're saying we should do away with the American Constitution at all. now about Israel uh, first of all the people decided how to appoint judges in Israel it was the people it wasn't the judges we had a different system between 1948 and 1953. We had political appointments. In 1953, the, the people of the Israel, through the representative, decided differently. In 2008, they decided we wanted to change it again. And now we want to... So let's get to today and, and finish and, and, this. And, uh, and, and, and I think the people are entitled 
to change the election system. I'm not saying they're not entitled. The question is not whether they can in, uh, change the committee. The question is whether the changes that they want to, to, to bring, whether those changes will do good to the system, will make a better Supreme Court, will make a better court, will increase public trust in the court. Okay, but I think no, and all this discussion has not been about whether people have a right to change the committee. Of course they can change the committee, but I don't think these changes are good okay, to the system. Which leads me to the last question. Yes. If this government, uh, where hypothetically to pass the reform, the four laws as planned, the original ones, if they were to pass it, would you um, accept and acknowledge the right to do so? You mean whether do I think the Supreme Court could strike down these reforms? Is that the question? No. What do you mean? You, what do you mean accept the right? Would you? Would of you? Of course, the government, the, the Knesset has. Do the, they have the mandate uh, and the legitimacy to pass the four laws? Legally, in your opinion. Legally, no, in your like legally, in, but I'm giving you a legal opinion. Okay. Legally, opinion in uh, uh, formally, yes. Okay. If they okay. have in the, in enough members of parliament to amend basic law, their judiciary, they can legally amend it. But the question is whether do I think, and that's why I asked you the second question: Do I think the Supreme Court should repeal those reforms? Is that the question? My question is, I, I, I don't like. No, no. How, how, how many do they need in order to amend? Sixty-one. Actually, no, no, because um, because uh, most of the most of the amendments are uh, amendments to the basic law to judiciary, and basic law to judiciary is not um, entrenched. Uh, and therefore, you can have actually uh, understandable simple, uh, simple, simple majority, majority. Yeah. but it will have less chance of being ruled down if they get sixty-one. Some some might argue, but never mind. But no, but I'm asking beyond legally because legally, who knows? Who knows what the Supreme Court would have done? But in your opinion, as 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 a law professor, but not not according to the law. In your opinion, as a citizen, as a citizen, because one of the arguments we hear from the protesters is that. They don't have the mandate to do this, this yeah. and turn us into but, dictators. But, but, but I think, I, th I think, okay, I, I think you have to understand the protest argument in a different way, in the sense that, you know, all of what you're doing now was never discussed at length, and, and that's why right. I think they're okay. saying we didn't vote on this. Okay. It's a, 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 so I, I. So I, let's I, assume we had another elections now. Okay. And it was about that, and again we, we had sixty-four okay, so, mandates. Okay. So so would so, you... so I th so I guess so I would tell you, I think that. If we are putting the legal considerations aside, which I do have something to say about those, but let's not say anything about those right now, um, I think that they would have the legal capacity and the legal legitimacy to pass these laws. But in a, but I think that were these laws to pass altogether, I think these laws create the infrastructure for completely limitless, unchecked governmental power, okay. and and the substance. And when I look at the substance of the laws, I think these, the, the, especially all of them together, I think these laws would not be legitimate as such in a democratic, in a country that aspires to be a democracy. Okay, but having uh -huh. said that... That was your question. Yes, no. but having said that, morally, you would think it is legitimate. But what does that mean morally? If, if my moral commitments are that Israel continues to be a strong, robust democracy, then morally, I would oppose these laws. Of course. You would oppose the laws. Yes. But you wouldn't oppose the the majority's right to pass them. Well, like I was said, I think that legally, I think the Knesset can pass them, but I would reject these laws. And insofar as possible, I would try to resist those laws because I think these laws turn Israel into something that I deeply and profoundly disagree with. Okay. 
First of all, thank you very much for coming. For on the indulging, show. Uh, no, yeah, for thanks, indulging. Thank us. you for having <laughs> me. Yeah. It was a pleasure. I think that's the right good, word. I think it was a good discussion. <laughs> yes, yes, very much. And, and we I don't think, hear such discussions. Yeah. I think in Israeli media, at all. Well, it's hard to have a discussion that goes on for more than an hour. Also yeah. true. So, okay. That's why we love this format. So. Thank you so uh, much. Thank How you. Can people, thank you. Like, reach out, follow you, social media. Well, uh, if anybody Google's my name, they will reach my website and there's my email. I'm on Facebook, but I'm also on Twitter. My first and last name, my, my picture is there. You so. have a book, books, something to uh, plug? Uh, I'm not plugging anything right now. Actually, okay. my, my current project, which I hopefully will turn into a book in a few years, is the history of censorship of films and theater in Israel mm. between 1948 and 1991. It's a fascinating topic. We it could is. discuss that. Yeah. Uh, when it comes uh, so, out, yeah. Yes, so I, I work a lot in film and theater censorship um, in the early decades of Israel. Uh, and I'm, that's my current project, and I'm hoping to, there's an article that hopefully will come out in the next few months, and then it will later turn into a book. Fascinating. We'd love to have you and talk happy, about it. Happy to do it. Awesome. Thank, Thank you so, you so much, much for coming. Thanks Professor very much. Adam Shinao. See you guys on the next one. Thanks for listening. Bye.